Turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 1. It'll be uh, page 566 if you're going to use one of the Bibles from the church here. Um, man, I got three little girls. It's hard for me to watch. Some of you are thinking, why on earth, Jordan, would you show that in church? And what, like, but again, like I said earlier, I want us to feel something before we start. And I want, I want our hearts to be connected to God's heart. And I want to show you that indeed God's heart is broken wide open for the situations like that. I'm going to show you God's heart in the scriptures, and then we're going to talk about how I believe God has called us personally as a church um, to engage, and then we're going to talk about like how you guys can actually be a part of that. So that's what we're going to look at today. And, and as we just kind of reflect back over, man, it's been a beautiful year as we've been reading scripture together, and through the Old Testament, we've been in the book of Luke where Jesus is bringing that kingdom to bear on earth, and, and we've looked at a lot of this, God's heart for the, the broken um, the vulnerable, the marginalized. And so what we see is from the very beginning, from the, from the very first moment that God begins to call out a people for himself, from, from the midst of a broken world, a people to be the ones that would bear the witness of our great God's name to the rest of the broken world. From the very beginning, he has commanded and built into their way of life that they should care for the vulnerable. Like God even went so far as to allow them to be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And I think one of the reasons, I'm not saying it's the only reason, one of the, th- one of the reasons God was doing, with, doing that with his people was to make them into an empathetic people. You'll see a refrain over and over again as God commands them to care for the sojourner, the immigrant, the, the vulnerable. He said, because you were also slaves in Egypt. So he's going to point back to that point in history over and over again to, because he wanted to make sure that they empathized with people who were suffering and vulnerable. We see that God himself describes himself, declares himself to be in Psalm 68, verse 5, a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. In Psalm 82, he commands his people, he says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless and maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. In Exodus 22, he warns them of the consequences if they don't. He tells them, he says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And God promises to punish them for failing to engage there. The Bible will say later that to know to do the right thing, to know the right thing and to not do it, that's a sin also. And so God's saying, like, listen, it's not just if you're actively heaping on pain or prosecuting, like persecuting those people, but if you're just ignoring their need, then you're in sin as well. And so he's not just telling them to avoid that, but he's actually calling them to actively seek them out and care for them. As he's instructing God's people about how they should live their life and how they should run their society, he tells them, hey, don't harvest all the way up to the edge of your fields. You're going to leave some of that, and you're going to leave it for the the vulnerable. 
The vulnerable in Scripture is consistently described as the, the sojourner, which is our modern-day equivalent of a refugee, someone that has fled their country for their own safety. They're looking for a new home. So the sojourner, the refugee, the widow, because in that culture, a woman that had lost her husband could not work, could not fend for herself, and was going to be vulnerable. Um, and then the, the fatherless or the orphan. And so God tells them, don't, don't squeeze everything you can get out of your own harvest and your field. Instead, you're going to leave some of it so you can care for other people. He's, he's building into their society that they would be generous and that they would have compassion and that they would care for the people who are vulnerable. And then later we see in the prophets, especially in Isaiah, but in really in all of the prophets, God calling out his people for not living this out. Isaiah goes so harshly to say, stop, like God tells his people, stop coming to church and acting like you care about what I say, acting like you're my people if you aren't going to live like my people. And he's literally referring back to the lack of justice and the care for the vulnerable. Let's read Isaiah chapter 1. Let's read, let's start in verse 2, and we're going to um, skip a bit, but we're going to read uh, part of this chapter. So starting in verse 2, Isaiah, I want, to hear, I want you to hear God's word to his own people. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. He's saying they've missed the heart of what it means to be my people. Verse 4, Ah, oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, and are utterly estranged. Skip down to verse 11, if you would. God says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? See, the people are still coming to church. They're still going through the motions. They're still offering their sacrifices. They're still going through the rituals, and yet they're not doing justice. They're not caring for the poor. And God says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you, come ne- when you come to appear before me, who has required you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feast, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. And bring justice to the fatherless. And plead the widow's case. God is saying, stop your going through the motions. If you're not going to live Like my people, stop acting like you're my people. Your vain offerings, I don't care what you give, I don't care what you do, how often you come, it's making me sick because you're, like he'll say later in Isaiah 58, it's, it's essentially like they're stepping over broken, needy people in order to get to their worship services. God says, I'm done with it. Stop it. 
And we know that from our time in Luke that Jesus comes and, and he isn't here to abolish this, but to fulfill it. So Jesus starts living this out and teaching his disciples that the kingdom is about bringing good news to the poor, to the outcast, and to the vulnerable of society. Jesus is literally doing what he's called his people to do. He's saying, no, no, this is what the kingdom looks like. It's not about gathering in your circles of people who look like you, live like you, and go to church like you. It's about taking the good news of the kingdom to the people who don't know and who have no hope and their hearts are broken and they need help. It's clear from Scripture that it is the will of God for his people to be the place where hurting people find healing. Period. It's his will that, that his people would be where hurting people would come to find healing and hope. This is just a glimpse of the Scriptures. That, that point us to God's heart for this. It is over and over and over and over again that God will say, the sojourner, the widow, and the orphan, you care for them over and over and over and over and over again. It's going to say the same thing. And then in the New Testament, James is going to have a similar indictment on people and saying, listen, God's not interested in your empty religion. Famous verse in James says, James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this is the New Testament calling people out of religious practice and into action. That's God's heart. It's really clear. We could spend a lot more time on it. But now I want to tell you a little bit about how I got a personal indictment. I'll tell you a story about how God kind of indicted me personally in a similar way. It was last, it was January 2000. 17, and I preached on uh, the nations, I think, and I said a line in there. I said, uh, I know it's scary to think about sending your kids to other nations, but if we can trust God with our eternity, can we not trust him with our present? And that's what that, that, the whole sermon was about the nations, but that, I think it was that Tuesday, um, Vicki Oakley came into my office and, um, and, and, and said, I just need to tell you some stuff. I just need to talk to you. And she had been doing CASA, which is a court appointment court-appointed special advocate for kids in foster care. I've been doing that for several years, and she says, Jordan, I just see this stuff all the time, and I don't know what to do about it. She said, Jordan, I've had caseworkers look at me when we have a room full of kids, and we're trying to find a home for them, and they're calling and calling. And she said, I've had caseworkers look at me and say, is there not anyone in your church that would take these kids? She said, I don't know how to ask people to bear this kind of burden. Because it's not easy, and these kids are, are broken, and it's hard, and I don't know if I want them around my grandbabies, but we have to do something. And when you said that, can we not trust God with our present? She said, I, I, I don't know. We, we've I, I got to bring this to you. And, and I just began to ask questions because I had no idea. I said, that's all right here? Like you're talking about like in, in Williamson County? And she said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jordan. Every every week I'm in family court, and every every week she said, it, it is... There's not enough homes. I said, I had no idea. So over the last few months, I've, God's opened my eyes to a couple of things. First of all, what foster care really is. My experience with foster care was uh, really knowing some friends that had done it or, or were in the process of doing it, and it was usually really frustrated at the system because most people in, in foster care, not all, but a lot of people are, are hoping to adopt those children. Right, that they're they're trying to gain children in the process, and so any progress from the biological parents or whatever, or the delays from the system is frustration, and so that had been most of my exposure to the system. But as I began to learn more about what foster care really is, man, it's a system to to care for kids, and really the hope is to restore families. 
It's where a kid can come into care while their parents, their family has an opportunity to get their life straight, to get, their, to get the help that they need so that they can become a family that can love on and raise these kids well. And so I began to realize, oh, it's, it's much more than just people trying to get kids away from bad people. It's broken people. It's hurting people. Some people that are really trying and that just need some help, that need some time to get their life together so they can have their kids. And so my, my eyes were broadened to even what foster care really is. But then the second thing that, that my God revealed to me was just the overwhelming need right here under our nose. So right now there's 184 kids in Williamson County in foster care. Now those are the ones that have stayed in Williamson County. They got placed here. There's numerous more that they didn't have room for, that they've had to send to other places. Really, I'll talk about it in a second, but I began to talk to our friends at, at the Journey Metro East in, in, in um, St. Clair County, and within just talking to like two people, they were like, oh yeah, we know about Williamson County because they call us every week looking for homes for kids from your area. And I quickly learned that there was, there was a baby, there was a, there was a 12-year-old and another baby that were placed just in the small pocket of people that I knew up there from Williamson County because there wasn't homes here. So God began to just overwhelm me as I talked to Vicki and, and, and learned more about this, that, that this need was right under our nose and I had no idea. We've been praying about how to engage as a church. Right? The journey's always been a missional church, and we've watched videos about Mission St. Louis and the covering house and things that go on in St. Louis, and we've been praying about, and, want, and God, what would you have us do here? How do we engage here? And so ever since I'd come on in that fall, I was like, okay, Lord, what is it? And we talked to school officials, and we were like, okay, how do you, how do you want us to engage, Lord? And, and this, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks to just know that, that this kind of brokenness, that not only are these kids being pulled out of their home and everything that's familiar. And even when it's hard, you need to understand that a kid doesn't know how to rejoice that they're getting rescued. A kid still, that's their home, that's their family, and it's hard to get pulled out of that situation. And so not only is that happening to them, and they're leaving everything they know uh, from a home perspective, relationship perspective, but now because there's no homes here in our area, now they have to leave their school and their friends and their activities and, and their extended family and all of those things. And so I just began to, like God just crushed my heart. And so my wife and I began praying about what we should do. We had always, uh, we had always known and, and, and made it known that like, we, would have, we planned to have kids in our home that weren't ours biologically. Uh, but we really thought we would do that later. We thought we would maybe uh, adopt an older kid that, that others maybe uh, didn't want. But we wanted to wait till our kids were older to not upset birth order and uh, expose them to things. And so that was kind of our plan. But as this came on, we began to rethink that and pray about it and ask more questions and understand that we can actually say, okay, well, we'll take two and under, and that way we don't break our birth order. And, and so, um, so we signed up, and we've been in the process of uh, getting licensed to be foster parents, and we're, we're about three weeks away. We're done. We're waiting on them to, to finish up, and, and within three weeks, we will have our foster license. But, but I began to realize, like, it, our home's not going to be enough. Like, we, we don't fix the problem just by signing up ourselves. And so what do we do as a church? What does this look like to engage? And so I knew um, that, that um, Curtis and his church in Metro East um, 
was in, where they were engaged somehow with foster care. I didn't know what it meant, and so I just I called him up. I said, hey, man, what does that look like? God's laying it on our heart. I want to know what you guys do. And he quickly said, man, we started out trying to do our own thing, but then we found this organization that was doing exactly what we had hoped to do, and they had a system, and so we just put all our resources there, and it was called the Restore Network. And he said, man, they got a banquet in about four weeks. You should just come. And so I took uh, a handful of folks from our church, and we went up there, and we heard about the, minist- the ministry of Restore Network. And, and uh, I think I just, like, my wife and I just wept the entire time. And uh, they took up an offering. It was a fundraiser at the end. And I, we were just like, I, I don't know, like, give them every, what do we got? Give them, like, empty the account. I don't know. Like, we just were overwhelmed with the need and the beauty of the ministry of what God was calling his people to do and, and, and how the state's needs were aligning up with that and the church just had an opportunity to engage there. And so uh, from that point on, we've been exploring what would it look like. So Restore was an active organization in St. Clair and in Madison and Bond County up uh, in that you know, kind of east of St. Louis area. So we began to explore what it would look like to bring that to Williamson County. And again, all of them knew about Williamson County because they get calls for our kids regularly. And so it was an instant yes from them. Yeah, we'll come down there and help because we need to get more homes in your area. And so we've been exploring what is that like, and we've been walking through uh, the process of, of launching that um, for about a year now. But, and so a lot of the rest of our time today is going to be talking about what that looks like. But before we get into that, I want to I exhort you uh, from that passage there in James. And I want you to consider what God says. He says, true religion... That is uh, pleasing, that is pure and undefiled to God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That word visit is a bit deceiving. If you just think, oh, we're just going to make a visit or give somebody or whatever. That word visit means to like look for, like seek after, to go looking for and to, to come with comfort and help. It's the same kind of language that, that is used when, when Jesus visited us. So Jesus leaves his comfortable home in heaven and comes in and dwells in our midst and our brokenness and our mess. And he comes to bear our burdens and we're hopeless. We're without a family. We're without a way out. And Jesus comes and he puts on flesh and he comes and he takes on our burden and he walks with us and he redeems us and helps us. And he writes a new story in our life. That, that's the same kind of language that, that it, it, God is calling his people to. It says, listen, you want to be a true Christian. You need to engage with the broken and the vulnerable people in this way. You need to come, seek them out and look to help them bring comfort and help and walk with them and help write a new story. That's what pleases our God. That's what he's calling us to. But I don't want to over-romanticize this because it's going to be hard. It's going to be sacrifice. We've already seen that. There's a quote that has never left me from that banquet. I don't know who said it. I haven't been able to find it. But it said, let us not talk about what it will cost us if we do foster care without also talking about what it will cost the kids if we don't. I know that for many of you, you've, you've thought about foster care and you've thought, well, I, I, that would be too hard. I couldn't give them back or whatever. And that's making it about us, guys. First of all, I want to say that it probably means you're doing it right, okay, because you got attached to the kid. You were loving them. So it probably means you're just a, you're a good candidate for it. But when you're looking at it from that perspective, you're make, we're making it about us. But if we're actually going to have this conversation, we have to also count the cost of what it will cost the kids if we don't. But it will be hard. It'll change the dynamic of our church. 
already happened a little bit. You served and turned kids lately? Sometimes it's hard because these kids come from hard places and they don't know the rules like we know, right? They're not going to behave. Like you can't expect a kid that's come from a hard place like that to understand how to behave themselves back in that wing. So we're going to need to know as a church, we're going to need to soften all of our hearts and, and lean in a little bit, right? And have some compassion and not have such a short few. Like we're going to need to understand that that's going to be part of what we're going to encounter back there. We're going to have to all engage. It may change our services. It may be a little noisier. It, 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 it's going to look different. And listen, I know that many of you have gone before us and you've done relative foster care. Many of you have done traditional foster care. There's, there's uh, some that have and some that are doing international adoption. We know that all of you have gone before and have way more stories to tell than I do. And I'm not trying to diminish where you've been. I'm just trying to say, hey, we want to actually learn from that and, and, build, and come alongside and build a system that hopefully um, helps support those that are doing that. And so what... Restore, and this is why Restore is so good, because it already has a system. We're not starting from scratch. They have a system in place that will, um, they're not perfect, but it's at least it's going to help shorten the learning curve for us a, a good bit. And so um, while there's a, there's a system in place, and we firmly believe that God has called us to this, it only works if you guys get on board. So I want you to consider opening your home. I want you to pray about it. Opening your home, ask questions, engage. Everybody should at least consider it, wherever you are in life stage. Much like we talk about global missions, we say, listen, it's all, we're all called. We're all called to be a part. And some are going to go. The rest of us are going to send. And really, those are the only two options, because the other one is disobeying. I think this is similar. God makes it clear, the church, his people, we should care for the vulnerable. We should be the place that they come to for healing. So either we're going to be the ones that open up our homes, or we're going to find ways to support those that do. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about. So the Restore Network exists, and Riley's going to talk a little bit more about this later, but the Restore Network exists to recruit families to open up their homes for foster and adoption. Uh, and this is focused on local. Like We're still going to care for our folks that do international adoption like that. We're not going to forget about them, but, but this organization is focused on local within Illinois. Listen, Illinois, I didn't mention this earlier, has the worst permanency rating in the, the country, like even worse than Puerto Rico. And what that means is like, we don't get kids in a home and keep them in a home. They're moving all the time. They get transferred and, and, and it takes forever for a, a final outcome to either be reunited with their family or to be adopted. Illinois is really, really bad at this. And listen, that's one thing to think about it from a system standpoint. I want you to think about it from the kids standpoint. So what restore network does, it, it, it's an organization primary objective is to recruit God's people to open up their homes. So it exists. We're going to partner with other churches and we're going to invite God's people to consider fostering. But again, we know that it's hard. And so the other piece of restore is to support those that do that. Okay. So to build an environment where we bear each other's burdens and we walk with one another. And, and, and so that's going to happen. But then also those that are already doing it, whether they believe like us or they're, they're, uh, they go to our church or they go to any church, whether they live a different lifestyle, like if they're licensed and they're loving on kids, we want to come alongside and, and minister to and love on those kids. 
And so it's a ministry to the kids, but it's also, man, it's a witness to those people as, as they're not Christians. And we come alongside and we're bringing meals to their door or we're bringing diapers or we're uh, just loving on them or whatever it may be. Like that's a witness of the church stepping into this area of brokenness. And so in a moment, we're going to watch a video that tells you more about this organization. And then my lovely wife is going to come up here and, and tell you more about how you can get involved. So we as a church have been in the process. You've heard about this before, and we've had about 10 to 15 people that have come on board and said, yeah, I want to help. I want to help be a part of the leadership team. So we've been moving through those steps for the last year, and we've got a solid team of leaders that are ready and willing. You'll meet some of them afterward out at the, at the table. Um, but listen, we believe God has called us to this, and we've had a strong response from, from inside that small pocket of people, and it's now time to like broaden that and give everybody a, um, an opportunity to get on board. And so um, within that process, my wife has accepted the, the position of county director for this, and so she's going to be serving in that role. So after this video, she'll come up and tell you a little bit more about, uh, you'll get a glimpse through this video what the Restore Network does and uh, who they are, and then we'll talk um, briefly about what that looks like for you guys to get involved and what you can do about that today. So 